When something bad happens to a person, does that mean they are a bad person? Does it? Identify them as a bad person. And the Bible does say, you reap what you sow. So wouldn't it have to be true that if a bad thing happens to you, it shows what kind of person you are? You rip people off, somebody's going to steal from you. You bark at people, people are going to yell at you. You murder someone, don't be surprised if there's a gun in your face. You get a flat tire, you must have deflated somebody. Okay, maybe not that one. <laughs> well, you know, but who knows? But moral reaping and sowing isn't as direct as all that, and we recognize that. Still, it's pretty common to see things happen to people who did the same thing to others. Drug dealers regularly, normally die from overdoses. That's proven fact. Thieves have things stolen from them all the time. Liars get lied to. This is what we see. It's, it's life, generally speaking. So it's easy to see why people figure a guy's going to get what he deserves. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, no doubt, this man is a murderer. Now, we don't know if Paul heard them or not. Maybe just Luke did. Maybe they told Paul about it later. But we do know that Paul simply shook the snake off into the fire and basically ignored the attack by the snake. Well, and by the people if he heard it. He should have died. It was a miracle. Well, they thought it was impossible any other way. But were they right? Not about the miracle but that earlier thought, was Paul a murderer? Paul did write to the Philippian church that he was, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. But a murderer? And what is murder anyway? <laughs> it sounds simple. But what is it? How did it come about? Maybe we should start there. When and where did murder begin? Well, that's easy. Jesus made it clear when he dealt with the False claim of some Jewish leaders that God was their father. Jesus said to them, if God was your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and has nothing to do with the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Whoa. Slap. <laughs> From the beginning, their father, the devil, was a murderer. And they are like their father. They are murderers. Fascinating aside, we know that they were already seeking to murder Jesus when he said those words. But they denied it. <laughs> but everybody knew it was true. <laughs> but is this what Paul meant when he said... For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. That seems like a long ways from having Satan as your father. And what about the beginning? What did Satan do such that Jesus called him a murderer and a liar? 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What a slimy, sleazy, sneaky lie. Alas, Adam and Eve bought into it and broke the one rule that God gave them. They did what they knew God did not want them to do. The one who created and loved them. And they didn't trust him. Much happened to them and to us because of this. But what about the murderer? The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put in between between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You know, a lot of bad things happened to Paul besides the snake bite. The bite that happened because of the snake with Adam and Eve. I mean the one in the fire after the shipwreck. Paul even rehearses all that happened to him. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, That's a lot of bad stuff. (laughs) So doesn't that mean Paul is a bad guy? But Paul claims that God is his father. So where does that leave us? Well, for the moment, let's set that aside and go back to the beginning. Sometime after the murderer's blatant lie. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the first fruits of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying out to me from the ground. Can you imagine the pain of Adam and Eve at that first funeral? Wow. The warning God had given them before they listened to the murderer clanged like a huge bell in their ears. And dying you shall die. 
Why? Why did we listen to the father of lies? Why did we listen to that murderer? Does this make them a murderer? God stops any potential revenge or retaliation by Cain's other siblings. He put some mark on Cain and warned everyone that if they kill Cain, he, God, would kill seven of them. Cain takes one of his sisters or nieces and moves away and starts a family of his own. The Bible next gives us the genealogy of this first human murderer. In the midst of that, it relates an interesting story about one of his offspring. Lamech said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, Hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me, a young man for striking me. If Cain's revenge is sevenfold, then Lamech's is seventy-sevenfold. God had quelled any possibility of an escalation of violence with some preventive measures with Cain. But this product of a murderer, also the first recorded bigamist, becomes himself a murderer. And then, in his arrogance, claims the right of God in retaliation should anyone try to seek retribution. And not just the same. Oh no, he'd do even more. Sounds like the politics of today, frankly. And of course, with this sort of behavior, things do escalate. It continues to get worse and worse. When man began to multiply on the face of the land, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man in the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I am sorry that I have made them. And there you have the end result of unrestricted murder. Freedom to do anything you want, anytime you want. Living life simply by your conscience. But there was one man and wife who were not swept up in this escalation of lies and immorality and murder. Uh, they also had three sons who, with their wives, believed. The eight of them worked diligently for a century, preparing for the disaster which God would, had warned them about. No one paid any attention. And so all the murderers died. When God had brought that small group through, he formed a covenant with Noah that extends to everyone between that first sin and this <clears throat> reboot of the human species. God had forbidden the taking of life, even that of a murderer. Uh, God would take care of it himself, which he <clears throat> did in a big way. Uh, now is the proper time for that rule to change. So listen to this piece of God's covenant with Noah. And for your lifeblood, I will require a reckoning. From every beast, I will require it. And from man, from his fellow man, I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his image. So man, because he listened to the murderer, began to murder then God did what he said he would do and removed all who had murder in their hearts. Now God set up humans as his agents in justice for murderers. After many generations, humans were spread all over the earth. Even with that and their reduced lifespan, they still managed to get themselves into some pretty tremendous trouble. So God chose a specific group of them and he taught them the next step in human response to the sin of murder. If anyone kills a person, 
the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses, but no person shall be put to death on the testimony of one witness. Moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall be put to death, and you shall accept no ransom for him who has fled to his city of refuge, that he may return to dwell in the land before the death of the high priest. You shall not pollute the land in which you live. For blood pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the blood that is shed in it except by the blood of the one who shed it. You shall not defile the land in which you live, in the midst of which I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell in the midst of the people of Israel. Who pays? When someone murders, there is no atonement except by the blood of the murderer. This is the system under which the Apostle Paul grew up. So, how did this relate to him? (laughs) If he could be considered a murderer, then he should die. Paul told a crowd of his Jewish brethren, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God, as all of you are this day, I persecuted this way to the death. To the death. Earlier he had written to the Galatian church, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. No doubt this man is a murderer. What are we supposed to do with this? (laughs) Those men around the fire were right. No doubt Paul was a murderer. He did deserve to die. God's covenant with Noah and the one he made through Moses agreed. Paul should die. Instead, he just ignored the servant and went on with the work that God had given him to do, including miraculously healing people. How does a man like Paul do that? Just go on as if he was innocent. A man who admits that he was violent and persecuted believers to the death. How does he, knowing who he is, Write a scathing condemnation in agreement with the law of Moses like this. Now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers and the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Wow. (laughs) I mean, I agree. But Paul, are you some kind of hypocrite or what? Well, no, he's not because he goes on to say, I thank him who has given me strength. Christ Jesus, our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. 
No wonder he was excited. He was a murderer. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. But he received not justice, but mercy. Jesus judged him faithful, even though he was anything but. Jesus appointed Paul to his service, even though he had tried to destroy the church. Because Paul deserved it? No. That's the whole point. It's because Jesus wanted to display his great love for all who would believe from that time forward. People like the Corinthians, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers who will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's amazing. (laughs) It's just amazing. And a forgiver and murderer out there doing God's work, finds it pretty easy to see God forgiving anyone. (laughs) Anyone. That's why he later, knowing he would soon die, could write, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me in that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The crown of righteousness, a great symbol of right living worn by a murderer who is a murderer no longer, but is truly made by God to be righteous.
How many people actually murder anyone? <laughs> We're not that bad, right? <sighs> well, I think we better listen to what John had to say. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Hatred of another human being is murder. That was Satan's sin. He hated Eve. He hated Adam. He wanted them to die. Cain took him, Satan, as his father, and through Cain and his hatred, Satan committed the first physical murder. Since we're doing reality checks, let's do one more. <clears throat> we have all hated, lied, or cheated, or whatever. And we all deserve death. Every human being walking this planet does. But we're okay. <laughs> How can we know we're okay? By this, we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? Do we truly have love? Does he truly live within us? Do we truly love? Do we show love through our lives? Do we truly thirst for the life that only God can give? What happens to those who do thirst for the life only God can give at, at the end, as opposed to those who remain murderers? And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give payment from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Do not be mistaken. Every person you see is headed one way or the other. No one has to go to the other. <laughs> but Jesus promised and warned, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay everyone for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, and the sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. We don't want anyone outside. And no one has to be outside. But some will not accept the gift of God. And they will be excluded from this wonderful new creation that God is making for us. And we must say to all those that we love, please do not be one of those who are outside Please listen to the words of Jesus. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And now listen because the Spirit 
and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. You can't afford the water that gives eternal life. You can't, but that's okay. It costs you nothing. The price was paid by the one who said, I am coming soon. Haters of other humans, murderers, liars, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Father, it's humbling to know that we're not better than Paul. (laughs) We really have the same spirit of murder in our hearts that all humans have suffered to save Jesus. We maybe didn't commit the act. Maybe we were never so great as to go that far, but the truth is we would have if you hadn't been there for us. And we thank you that you have drawn us to you. And through your Son, Jesus, and by your Spirit, we know that we have eternal life. Now, Lord, on our minds today, maybe you're putting a person or two who doesn't yet understand this. They have not let the words of Jesus sink in. And if we said, come, they'd say, why? Help us, Lord, to somehow be a part of showing them the truth the fantastic life that you have for us. If only we will recognize you as our own creator and the one who loves us and if we can trust you. Thank you, Father, that you do love us so phenomenally. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this message first heard at Living Hope Church of Westport. Please feel free to worship with us, maybe this next Sunday. You can also join us online at southbeachhope.org. We'd appreciate your financial support if that is possible. We are a tiny church in a small town, but at least, with the help of Sermon.net, we can share the good news with you and everyone around the world. Hopefully, we'll someday be able to worship God together in person, if not in Westport, at least in the rapture. (laughs) 